0: From the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you are listening to The Close-Up. Each week, we bring you in-depth conversations with some of the biggest names in filmmaking. It's February 10th, 2016. I'm Michael Odemark, one of the show's producers. Mountains May Depart, the new film from Chinese director Jia Zhe Zhangke, opens here at the Film Society on Friday. The film's plot spans decades and is a poetic study of the ways relationships evolve over time. It was highly praised by critics after its world premiere at Cannes, with Jordan Cronk writing for a reverse shot, never before have Jia's themes of globalization and economic paralysis been rendered on such a simultaneously vast yet intimate scale, his vibrant digital images encompassing an entire era of industrialization and an equally vast emotional spectrum. The epic drama was a main slate selection in the 53rd New York Film Festival last fall, and during the festival, Jajan Kud joined us for one of our free HBO director's dialogues. Director of Programming, Dennis Lim, moderated the career-spanning discussion, touching on Jia's interest in the passage of time, his working relationship with actress and wife, Zhao Tao, and the frequent use of pop music in his films. So let's go now to their conversation.
1: Hey there, this is Eugene Hernandez, Deputy Director here at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Thank you for listening to our podcast, The Close-Up. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to get new episodes delivered to you every week. You can also rate and review the show on iTunes, which will help us reach more cinephiles like you all around the world and help us make this podcast even better. Thanks again for listening, and now back to our show. I wanted to maybe start with Mountains Made Depart, um, and with those two scenes something that I did not get the chance to ask you uh, in, in the Q&A last night um, is about these two songs um, Go West by the Pet Shop Boys um, and this um, Cantonese pop song by Sally which both um, uh, feature several times in the film uh, and music is also something that is very important in I would say almost all your films uh, you get a sense of how uh, music um, plays out in the lives um, of your characters. Um, can you say a little bit about, first maybe about these two songs in particular, their significance to you, um, and also maybe more generally about the use of, of music and specifically pop songs in your
2: films? So definitely
1: pop culture or pop songs have a huge impact on
2: me. And I was born in 1970s when I was six or seven years old. that's the end of the cultural revolutions. And I do think that uh, before uh, that time, and the songs and the entertainment, so to speak, that uh, it's, or the lack of entertainment at a time that every song that you listen to will be almost this propaganda-like songs. It's all about the collective, it's about this idea, concept of we. And I think it's not until later on that you get to hear songs, especially pop songs, that uh, focus a lot more on the individual.
3: Uh, 70年代末, so after uh, uh, 1970s, and then you
2: started with this uh, beginning of reformed, and then came the influx of pop cultures from either Hong Kong, Taiwan, and from the West. Since being surprised so much and and for so long uh, with this collective idea of we, and I think that uh, through pop songs and pop cultures, the the young people get to express themselves individually and become an an outlet for uh, personal expression, individual expression. So, uh, I've been through different stages uh, experiencing these pop songs. And at first, I will be listening to the radio produced by Taiwan and songs by Teresa Teng. And then later on, you we can purchase the cassettes of these pop songs. And then cassettes turn into CD, CD turn into karaoke.
3: Uh, that these songs 我要回忆一些什么, mm-hmm.
2: So I very much grew up in these different stages of pop songs and uh, different ways of consuming these pop songs So for me to recall the memories that I had in my youth, in my past uh, Music is definitely a marker and a, definitely a trigger for me so if I have to think about go all the way back to the end of nineteen eighties, the songs that sort of signified that particular error is uh, by Twe Jin a song called I Have Nothing.
3: Uh Japu Dans the Hui the
2: And not only it's a collective memories at the time, but also depict what's happening during that time, that particular era. And since this, uh, when I was preparing the script and the story starts in 1999, and I start to recall what was I doing in 1999. And the first thing came to mind was that I spent a lot of time in disco clubs. And one particular one is actually right next to uh, the Beijing Film uh, Academy is this uh, very popular disco club called Nassau, So the first time I heard Go West was actually at NASA, uh, when I was uh, enjoying the the club scenes at the time. And uh, this song was very, very popular already, but the DJ usually will be very, very stingy that they won't play the songs not until midnight. And then everyone will be waiting the moment uh, when this music uh, appears. And then whether or not your friends or whether or not these are strangers, then you will somehow, link up like a human dragon, uh, so to speak, start dancing together in synchronization. And I think that this is definitely something, uh, a collective memory of my generation at the time. And this particular rituals, so to speak, become uh, a signifier for, for a lot of things that happened during this time. And I do think that for... My generation, when they listened to the songs, they probably didn't even understand the lyrics uh, so much so as just enjoying the beat, the rhythms, and this sense of uh, freedom, the sense of expression and sense of going somewhere. might not go west, but just go, go somewhere. And since, as I mentioned, that this is that story begins in the end of 1990s, and I think that at the time... The young generation at the time really are very, very naive, very, very idealistic, very, very simple minded, and they really just want to go somewhere and future is for possibility without knowing that maybe they're heading towards the, the future of the 2025 section of the film. So, uh, for s- the Cantonese song by Soliade, and I first heard it in the 1990s, at the end of 1990s, and I do think that it represents that particular era very, very well. And every time I heard the song, it reminded me of the the Jiang Wu's movie she was in, The Killer, and she also sang in that particular film
3: uh, can and
2: she became almost like a spokesperson of that particular genre and that particular era of films by especially by Jiang Wu because her song really depict not only just about love but also on top of that it has a sense of loyalty, sense of duty, sense of obligation. And because of these reasons, her song definitely become my favorite and always in my iPod or always or iTunes always be one, one of the songs I will keep going back to and listening to. So through her songs, I think this sense of intimate connections, not just love, but also with loyalty, sense of duty and obligation is something that I think is not, uh, it doesn't exist as much now in the contemporary time. And because of the, val- the change of a value system, the introduction of technologies, I think that kind of intimate connection is disappearing. And I am very, very nostalgic. And uh, I really hope that this is something that can still be, uh, can, that we can maintain that type of interpersonal connection, close intimacy. And that's why I want to use this particular song uh, to represent that, so I do think that there's some similarity in terms of uh, this sense of drifting around or floating around. If you think about in platform, these uh, young protagonists is that they really want to somehow leave their hometowns and go to other cities to seek personal freedom, individual freedoms, and ended up returning back to their hometown at the end. Whereas for Uh, mountains may depart the characters that uh, they have left their hometown into major cities such as Shanghai and from Shanghai even going abroad to Australia and uh, in terms of their actual final destination it's unknown but it is that sense of floating around feeling adrift is something that somehow connect these two films together.
3: (laughs) and with the technologies
2: that I focus very much on in the mountains may depart, I really feel uh, a, a, a dramatic transformations and great loss because of the technology such as Twitter, such as uh, social uh, media. When you send out an emoticon to another person, I wonder how much can be conveyed by this flat digitalized icons. And I do think that with that, there's a huge loss of this direct connection, face-to-face Interaction to get to listen to another person, uh, to observe this person's facial expressions rather than uh, just a simple uh, emoticons, and I think that is also something I want to uh, present in this particular film.
1: Can I ask you to say a little bit about the significance of the title "Mountains May Depart," which I I understand it comes from a a Chinese saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 Ah,了解一下这个《山河故人》的这个片名。
2: so actually, the name Shanghe Gu Ren in Chinese actually came to my head uh, more than a decade ago. I remembered that one time I was visiting my aunt's house and then right across the um, sort of the... Uh, the, the, after the, you cross the courtyards and then you step out of the courtyard, the first thing you see will be this the mountain hills. And then when it's snowy, you see this beautiful landscape, snowy landscape. And then you have individuals somehow mannering meandering around. And that name, I'm sorry, that title just came to me in my head: "Shanghe Gu Ren," and literal translation will be "Mountain River." old friends. And I think that uh, the sound of it is very, very beautiful, very, very poetic. And I thought in my head that that could be a great title for films maybe I will make in the future.
3: Uh, So I think the
2: the word gu, which is uh, the old friends that means the old. And uh, to me, that really signified this sense of time because there's no way you can have an old friend without time, it needs that long period of time, the passage of time in order for you to make old friends. So I think that concept and that particular character really touched me very much so. And then as a whole, you have the landscape sort of connoting the Con, uh, somehow connote the spatial elements of this film, and then you have the word gu uh, means old, so sort to of convey this uh, temporal elements of the film so it's very much about a film uh, it's very much a film about the time and the space and of course the English name Mountains May Depart has something to do with the Chinese saying that uh, mountains may depart but our love would never change and I think that nicely captures the sense of something might change so dramatically but something will never change in the long run so if you really think about that there are changes that you will go through in terms of your love your human emotions from uh, your first love to familiar loves to all the inedible, inevitable uh, journeys that you have to take on, birth, aging, illness, death. I do think that uh, even with all these changes that you have to encounter in your life, there are certain human emotions that will, will always be there, and that is something that will never change.
3: Uh, 我, <laughs> <laughs> so all
2: oh, my films, and Englishness of my films are from my cinematographer because his English is so much better than
3: mine. Uh, and
2: so also he mentioned that in the Bible, there's uh, this phrase, that four uh, mountains may depart, and I think that that's also uh, part of the reason why. The name is, Mountains May Depart. Uh,
3: that我說, 哎呦, 他說, so,
2: so, and then he was wondering when this would be too religious and too biblical, but then uh, he said, uh, no, then let's get rid of the word for, so we just have Mountains May Depart.
3: But
2: I still to this day, I don't understand why, you know, it won't sound as religious or biblical just by getting rid of the word for.
1: Uh, as we saw in, in the clip and those of you who've seen the film know that it's it's set um, the film takes place in three discrete uh, uh, time frames um, the first section and the longest section of the film is 1999 um, and it's set in your hometown um, and it's your 1999 is also the period that marks the beginning of your, um, your career uh, 1998 was your first feature um, did you did it feel in a sense that, you know, making that first part of the film was in in a sense revisiting the beginnings of your own your own career?
2: <coughs> so the reason why I chose uh, Fenyang, my hometown, as a starting point is because this film is very much about that feeling feeling adrift, feeling that you're floating around and I think that the best way to convey that feeling is to uh, to somehow start with your hometown that you drift away from uh, where you were born. So that's how we will find ourselves as an alien resident or as a foreigner. So um, the social reality I very much want to somehow uh, present in this film is this idea of uh, human migration, human mobility, because uh, of the... uh, the economic developments that we experience in China, people started to leave their hometown. They went into big cities, uh, even go abroad, to seek a better life. And I think that, to in order for uh, you to, uh, for me as a director, as a filmmaker, to present that in a very, very clear and also identifiable and relatable way, uh, is to somehow start with. Uh, this idea of leaving your hometown and going outward. So that was the reason why I chose Fengyang as a starting point in terms of space. Now, uh, speaking of the time, why I started in 1999, because this is a very, very uh, important turning point in Chinese history, and uh, I do think that if you uh, think about 1999, that was the time, is the the difference between pre- and post-internet era, pre- and post uh, cell phone eras. And then you see the popularity of the private cars, then start with that, uh, came the, the freeways, and then the high-speed train. And I think all, uh, all together in combination that really has this type of major transformation, major uh, technological advancement has a huge impact on how we relate to each other uh, as human beings and actually uh, make an imprint on the most intimate side of uh, human emotions. So definitely that's a new milestone uh, in terms of uh, in the year of 1999, if you look back on the beginning of the reform in 1979, it's been quite a few years and then you have witnessed major transformation of the society in those years.
3: So if you
2: look at the, in terms of the time period of platform from 1979 to 1990s, that was just uh, the beginning of the reform. And then uh, fast forward to uh, 1999, suddenly you have this uh, countries that from a developing one to... uh, a very developed ones and then you still observe the disparity of the rich and poor uh, in the meantime yeah. so uh, I do think that it's important to somehow uh, position this film in 1999 I uh, I read a review after uh, the film was screened and uh, one critic has actually somehow focused on this particular song go west to symbolize that uh, how Chinese people all they all want to somehow follow the, the Western models of modernization. But I do think that it, I need to clarify that if this songs was in, or happened in 1979, I do think that for the younger generation, this songs will carry certain connotation, ideological connotation, much more so than just another song in 1999, when people just seriously treat this without any, uh, political without any social cultural or ideological connotation it is purely a very very catchy song that people love and
3: enjoy uh, and this is not unlike the fact
2: that uh, when first uh, coca-cola first came to China this particular product it's a symbol of an American product, a Western product, and it's somehow connected to this idea of a Western and foreign culture. Whereas when you fast forward forward to 1999 in China, Coca-Cola no longer carry that type of symbol- symbolism. It's just purely a beverage that can quench your thirst. So in terms of the, the private cars or other infrastructures, we quote-unquote, might have jet lag, uh, not in pace with the rest of the world. But if you really think about in 1999, in terms of the Internet, in terms of um, uh, the cell phones use, we are pretty much sort of uh, in sync with the rest of
3: the world.
2: And these technologies and these devices really uh, somehow pose certain new challenges of how we live. Uh, In China. The recording cut off the beginning of this question, which
0: was basically about Jia's working relationship with Zhao Tao.
1: What is your process of working with her?
2: So, uh, in 2000s when I was trying to cast uh, the female lead for Platform and I was looking for someone who actually had the appearance of someone who sort of found this particular era in the end of 1970s and actually someone who might work for this traveling troop uh, for the state or for the government and then also need to speak the shanxi dialects and i uh, went to when i was scouting around and i went to uh, this particular uh, dance school uh, that's where i found jiao tao
3: Uh, so
2: when i first saw her and she was teaching a class and i immediately noticed her uh, with her um, interaction with the students and she mentioned that in, uh, to her students in order for you to uh, dance well you need to imagine that you couldn't speak and the only way that you can express your feelings is through your arms, through your legs, through your body and sort of that's uh, what draw me to her at the time. Uh, And immediately and suddenly, I realized that what she just said, it not only uh, says a lot about what dance means, but also what film means. So to me, film is something similar, that when you cannot express something through words, you need to rely on the imageries and rely on the cameras to somehow help you express your feelings.
3: So, that is
2: also one of the reasons why is that I usually
3: you will see a dance sequence in my films. 对,
2: uh, to me, it's almost as if that in order for me to express something that I cannot express through words, I need to double them up. I need to eat not only through dance, but also through uh, photography, I'm sorry, through films in order for me to convey that.
3: 其实跟他合作到
2: so, and I do think that uh, after our collaborations in 1996 for the st- for Still Life, there was a long period of time that we weren't actually very uh, closely uh, involved in terms of uh, filmmaking. Even though that uh, at the time she was involved in 24 City and I Wish I Knew These Are More Sort of documentary-like films, and she plays a very, very minor roles in these two films. So I didn't really see that uh, she had a lot of space for uh, for acting to shine. And this is at the same time that she started to collaborate with other filmmakers, such as uh, British filmmakers for the film 10,000 Waves, and also with an Italian directors for the film Shun Lee and the Poet. And this is not until uh, uh, 2013 so when we start to closely work together again for a Touch of Sin.
3: Oh, and
2: I realized that uh, she actually had her very unique way of um, preparing for the roles and discovering the characters.
3: And
2: also caused a lot of troubles and problems um, they, as an actress. So for her, after reading the script, uh, she instead of just looking at those uh shots that are being presented in the script, she would want to map out the whole life journeys and all the details in between of these particular characters. So she will ask questions such as, for mountains may depart, Tao's mother was never uh, there uh, for everyone to see, and it's been left out. And so she wonders whether or not you need to tell me, did I get a divorce, or did she pass away? What happened to the mother?
3: So I said maybe she
2: passed away, and then she then asked, how did she die?
3: <laughs> so I
2: said, just use your imagination. And to her, these are important details for her to somehow uh, uh, develop this particular character. So for her, she will actually actively and proactively trying to have certain discussions and meeting with us about the specific time that these characters are at, at uh, certain scenes. And for the script, usually we will just put down whether or not this is during the day or, whether or not this is night or in the evenings. But for her, it is crucial and very important to know exactly whether or not this is 8 o'clock in the morning or whether or not it's 12 in the afternoon or 6 o'clock in the evening. And she needs to know exactly uh, when this particular thing happened
3: so at first i didn't quite
2: understand why what the fuss is about and why do you need to know so specifically what time uh, the characters and uh, at uh, the, what period of time, I'm sorry, what exact time during the day that this particular character is playing in. So uh, later on, she told me that it, of course it is important because the way that you move, the way you, the energy level that you have makes a difference whether or not this is 8 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the
3: afternoon. And so she asked me,
2: uh, the, the opening scene, the, the disco scene, what, what time is it? Is it 10.30 in, in, in the evening or what? And then I told her that, yes, it is exactly 10.30 in, in the evening.
3: This oh,
2: is when said, it happened. Uh, said, oh, 26, 7, 5, <laughs> so for someone who was in her 20, uh, 20s, and well, in this case, 26-year-old, uh, 10.30 in the evening will be the, the time that uh, will be the most vivacious, more, uh, more energetic time for, for a young girl. So she asked well, what time is it for this character to play this sort of poker games on the iPad uh, in the 2014 section, and, she, and I told her that uh, it's also 10.30 in the evening. 他说, 啊, 40岁了, so for someone who was in her 40s, 10.30 is about the time to sleep.
3: Uh, so uh,
2: there was one particular struggle that I had with her uh, shooting, when we were shooting uh, Mountains Smith Depart. So the particular scene was uh, when Jiao Tao's uh, father passed away, a uh, character's father passed away unexpectedly uh, in this particular small, small town, and she would really want to know. Uh, how far it is uh, away from the uh, From uh, how far away is this particular city? Which is I told her it's 300 kilometers away, and she also wanted to know: Have I been here before? Have my characters been here before? And then I told her that: Well, you you probably been here before, but not. Not to the hospital, but you have been to this particular uh, small city before. And this is when she came to receive and uh, collect the body of uh, her father. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I, I told her that uh, in order for you to come so far away to this particular hospital to, to collect and receive the body, it, you need to have that strength to remain calm and composed when you should not shed any tears.
3: 然后他说好吧,
2: so After I told her that, and I sort of see some kind of funny expressions, uncomfortable expression from her face, but she's uh, somehow agreed to go on with my direction. So we have about one or two takes, and then it the feels very, very awkward, they're very uncomfortable, and she approached me and said that uh, I, I don't think that we should take this approach. So for... A female character her age, and you imagine that this is someone who was so close, who was so close to her father, and that's just two of them. The mother wasn't around, and she has been through divorce and also lost custody to. Uh, to her former husband, and also at the same time, just lost her father unexpectedly. And I do think that in this case, of course, she will be crying. She will be really expressing her emotion in a very outward rather than inward manner.
3: 然后我我我其实是随着惯性，我就讲我说啊，克制，克制更丰富。
2: so, to me, I sort of out of uh, uh, something that I'm very, very used to uh, almost on autopilot, I just told her that, well, this is something that you need to uh, restrain and use use to restrain with your expression because when you do that, uh, it's even richer uh, when you do so. So she listened to me and then she responded by saying that I do think that you are sort of in this trap of Eastern aesthetics. And because you think that in order for you to fit into this particular aesthetic mode, all the expressions has to be uh, restrained and, and everything should be suppressed and that is what you expected to uh, to behave. But I do think that that is not natural. That is not how someone encounters a, situ- like, a situation like this will actually express herself very, very naturally and organically. And I heard her response and suddenly I was downfounded and somehow uh, I decided to just end the shooting of the day. So I Uh, sort of thought back on why I want to make this film and a huge part of it is that I really want to somehow uh, convey this sense of deep feelings and emotions just like blood in your veins that uh, regularly you will not even notice that it's floating in your in your bloodstream but suddenly you have these moments in life when you get excited then all the blood suddenly rush into your head and then dissipated later on then you will feel that uh, you know your extremities have uh, become cold and i think this idea of just like body temperatures might change through the different uh, throughout different encounters you might have through a lifetime when you deal with human emotions and that is something that I want to really uh, convey with my film and I do think that uh, what she said is actually uh, correct and makes sense uh, in in this uh, regards because if I um, continue to think that to impose that that sort of customary way of making uh, this or following this Eastern aesthetics, I'm suppressing natural and authentic and organic human emotions. So I decided to somehow listen to her advice and then the next day, I decide to uh, reshoot this particular scene and she get to actually did it uh, her way.
1: We'll start taking some audience questions. Um, There's a microphone, so please wait for...
2: So the question was that... um, uh, two questions. The first one is that what's the, the biggest motivation for you to to make films? And the second one is that the previous films that you make very much following this idea of realism and uh, Have you ever considered to make films that is more sci-fi driven more commercial driven?
3: Uh, so to me uh,
2: the biggest attraction and biggest motivation to make films is to somehow present and represent uh, different characters uh, in different state of um, uh, situations and uh, living conditions for example in Pi pickpocket then this is such a drifters that uh, just cannot somehow uh, assimilate to the or follow the, the pace of the, the economic developments and been being left behind, and I do think that uh, for a character like this, I really want to uh, deal with, uh, to really imagine what would be like for for him to live a life that he's living in now, and what's the the inner feelings of this particular character, and I do think that a character like this that is really really. Uh, have, and have been underrepresented in the, uh, on the big screen in China, and those are the people that I happen to be. Uh, I'm very very familiar with, and something that I think that should be seen more on the big screen and uh, in Chinese uh, Chinese cinema, and that's what motivate me to somehow keep making films with characters like these. But for mountain parts part, this is uh, something uh, when I first. Uh, developed this particular uh, film, I thought that I was uh, uh, I know that I need the passage of time in order for me to tell the story well. But at the time, I thought that well, I would only do it from 1999 to the present time, 2014. But when I was developing the, the second episodes uh, during for, uh, 2000 uh, in for 2014, I suddenly realized that I am very curious about what's going to happen to Dollar. And also, I'm curious about what will happen to us collectively. And uh, so uh, if you think about this particular character, Dollars, that, um, he's a very, very passive uh, character. A lot of decisions have been made. Uh, and she wasn't, I'm sorry, he wasn't part of the decision-making process. Everything's decided by the, the previous generation, which is by his parents in terms of the the divorce that they had, uh, the custody uh, to the fathers, and even going abroad to Australia, that he really didn't have any say in any of these decisions. So I'm very curious about, uh, for a passive character like this, how can he and will he be able to uh, finally um, pursue his personal freedom at the end and that's why i thought that the best way to do that is to then create a third uh, episodes and bring the stories to 2025 and from the perspective of this particular character so since i'm going to bring the story to 2025 then sky is the limit so at first i thought uh, well maybe I will have this character dollar to fall in love with an alien, or yes, as an, as a, with an extraterrestrial, and this person will be genderless, and I, to me, really, thinking about human relationship about love, and I think that it is important to present the diversity of this different type of uh, interpersonal connections. So later on, uh, after further consideration, I realized that, well, that will be too abrupt from the, of a break from the previous two episodes. And so I sort of abandoned the idea because if you really think about it. This is fast forward and going forward to 2025. That's only 10 years away from now. So in terms of uh, if you buy a car now, if you really maintain it very well, you can still drive it uh, 10 years from now. In terms of the telecommunication or the electronic devices, I do think that this will be the area that will, you will see a lot of transformations. Just look at the speed that we are up, keep updating the devices that we have now. I can only imagine what kind of device uh, um, uh, 10 years from now we will use. And that's why I sort of narrow in on only those devices and update and, and find a way to make, it, make them not only futuristic, but also realistic. In terms of the the market or the audience, I think I'm in that regards. I'm very very passive. I do think that I'm this kind of director, and it's really uh, up to you whether or not you're going to like me. If you like me, I uh, welcome uh, and uh, your uh, acknowledgement and appreciation. But if not, then hopefully. Uh, you will find someone else that you are attractive to. So to me, I sort of just uh, I, I won't force the issue, and I do think that uh, that just uh, go with the
3: flow. But I really,
2: I feel very very passionate, extremely passionate that I want I would I love interacting with uh, my audience.
3: <laughs>
2: but I will not go so far as to force someone to listen to me, to drag someone to listen to me. So there were two questions. Uh, the first one was that uh, as a filmmaker study, you start very early, and I, w- I wonder whether or not that during your early years of filmmaking, have you ever felt lost? And um, because... Uh, I, which is the, <laughs> the audience, feel very much lost at this time in terms of as a f- filmmaker myself with great passion and love for cinema. But at the same time, I just don't really know whether or not this particular path will lead me to success, lead me to a great conclusion. So I want to know whether or not you have any suggestions for young filmmakers like myself. And the second question was, the, at the age of 45, you already received two Lifetime Achievement Awards. And whether or not that, uh, what kind of impact do you or have these awards have on you as a filmmakers going
3: forward uh,
2: so yeah, i was lost
3: uh, quite often
2: and I have to tell you that I was very very lost uh, after I finished the film Touch of Sin, and uh, at one point I even considered the fact that I considered possibly possibility
3: of not making any films anymore. Uh, uh, <laughs>
2: So you will get to see how low I was and uh, in the, the film that will be screened in the festival uh, tomorrow. by uh, It's a documentary about myself by Walter Salas. So, but, you know, even though that I have to consider the fact that I might want to make any film anymore, but after, then when you watch the films by Chaplin and suddenly you just realize, wow, how how beautiful uh, films are and can be and should be. And suddenly I realized that I need to make more films. And then when you watch that particular scene of bicycle theft and looking at the the father and son and hiding underneath the roof in a rainy day, and I do think that that is something that only film can somehow convey, that that kind of feelings and connections. And this is something that really compelled me to start making film again. So as a uh, beginners uh, as a filmmakers, I do think that even if you don't have uh, the actual resources or uh, all the pragmatic uh, and procedural, um, support and resources to, uh, for you to make a film at this point and in the meantime you can start uh, just keep on writing screenplays and scripts because then you can find a creative outlet for you to somehow uh, accumulate your, your thoughts and your ideas and hopefully in the future that you will be part of a system uh, or that you will, be tap, uh, you will tap into certain resources to somehow uh, make all these uh, ideas uh, come true in the future. In terms of Lifetime Achievement Awards, I think one thing that really encouraged me to do as a filmmaker is that it gave me more freedom to make the films that I really want to make because right now I actually can afford to take risks and fail and fail because
1: I, I already have Lifetime Achievement Awards. So. Uh, we're actually running out of time. I think we want to take one final quick question No, at the very back, no multi-part questions, please.
2: So the question was that um, it seems to her that the plot line is very much about Tao, especially for the first and the second part, and it's all about her relationship with uh, all the uh, um, people around around her. Then moving forward to 2025, suddenly it's, uh, it's very much about dollars and also involve his relationship with his father and also this particular inter- English instructor. So the question is why uh, to somehow uh, create a uh, uh, character such as the English instructor what what, would, what did you try to say or somehow represent with this particular character in the third
3: part? Uh when I in
2: so the first time you saw Dollar, he was a baby in arms of my mother and he couldn't say anything and when you do see Dollar the second time around, uh, he had became uh, elementary school students and then he came back for the, the funerals and you see that this is also someone who has no say in any of the decision being made by uh, the previous generation including uh, his father and his mother. Every decision has been made for him without uh, his, oh, he, him being involved in the decision making process. And that's the reason why I think for the 2025 part, it has to be from the perspective of dollar, that he has need to have a chance to say something. So after Still Life, and I, I decided not to really use this sort of enclosed, uh, linear way of to, uh, narratives. I really wanted to somehow find a different way with different perspectives in different episodes. Because uh, the world has changed, it has become very, very fragmented. So the, uh, the conventional narrative no longer, uh, is no longer sufficient to somehow convey the sense of contemporary time.
3: So we
2: are not living in the age of Shakespeare's or Shen Chongwen.
3: 对, 这个, mm-hmm.
2: So for this instructor, definitely that one key element is that she is definitely much older. So if we truly love each other, were there or are there limitations that we impose on ourselves? In this case, the age
3: difference. In
2: the case of the LGBT community, whether or not you sh- you, are, you should be able to allow to somehow be together and uh, create, uh, create a family together, and whether or not that should be a limitation being imposed.
3: 女, 女, 女性, 女方年龄大, 男方年龄小, 是否能够, 能够相爱, and
2: whether or not for an old much older woman to fall in love with a much younger boy, and whether now not uh, as a society, and also for these two individuals to somehow liberate themselves so that they can uh, somehow seek true freedom.
3: And
2: I think will be a very good way for us to rethink how can we somehow uh, expand the border uh, of limitation by first liberating ourselves. Because I really, at this age of my life, uh, I really feel uh, deeply the things and the limitation I have imposed on myself and all the luggage I carry with myself, and that sort of reminding of the. when I first started making films, how I felt at the
3: time.
2: To make film is to find a way to seek freedom.
3: And
2: art can definitely expand the horizons of all the different limitations, and we can transcend that through art and we can somehow get blessing to all different types of love.
1: I think that's a wonderful note to end on. Thank you so much. That, Thank yeah. you. Thank, Thank you very much.
2: much.
0: <laughs> to hear more discussion with Jia Zhangke, check out episode 31 for a director's dialogue from 2008 where he talked about his beginnings at the Beijing Film Academy, his criticism of the fifth generation of Chinese filmmakers. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.org. F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.